2: To walk us through what you think is going to – you can't tell him. He's going to come out looking like Elvis after this is all true. They're going to follow him. They'll do it time by time. You know they will. Donald Trump is getting on his plane. Donald Trump is now in the air. Don't you think this is the way it's going to play out tomorrow? Right. <laughs> uh, that, that is how
1: the coverage will go. I guess, actually – it starts today, right? Because he isn't he flying from Mar a Lago to, to uh You know
2: what? You're and just, right, Andy. Was, this is why. This is why, Andy, you're on the show. It's like, and it's exactly right. It's today he leaves about noon today, I believe. Correct? Yes.
1: The, the only reason I know this, Joe, is I've been standing by my window looking at the sky. <laughs> but I know, I know the the, the plane is heading this way at a, at some point.
2: You're waiting um, to see Trump in the air. I know. Oh, Lord.
1: This is this is Fox News reporting after all. Right. So um, Uh. um, but yeah, so they'll cover this like uh, exactly the way you uh, describe it. And actually start today. He's he's coming into New York today.
2: um, And I
1: think that is because there's an agreement in place between uh, the district attorney's office and the Secret Service and counsel and the NYPD that he will not be arrested in New York. He will be permitted to surrender uh, in the custody. Well, not in the custody. He's a protectee of the Secret Service. So I think the plan is that roughly uh, 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, he's supposed to arrive at the DA's office to be processed. The NYPD will be there. The DA's office will be there and he'll be you know, fingerprinted and photographed hmm. like everybody who comes into the system. He won't be uh, put in a holding cell. He'll be allowed to sit in the room, no doubt, with the Secret Service <clears throat> while they wait for the court proceeding. And that is scheduled to happen at 215, although these things tend to be fluid. Yeah. And I would think, Joe, that that court proceeding will be really quick because uh, he, this is a uh, it's a horse of a charge, but it's a nonviolent case. So. Uh, under New York law, even if the judge wanted to, uh, you know, incarcerate him or set a high bail, the judge couldn't do that. He, he'll he be released on his own recognizance. And then the case will be assigned to, you know, he'll enter a, a plea of not guilty. Mm. And then the case is uh, assigned to a judge and we'll be off to the races. There'll be, you know, motions to dismiss and all that stuff. But the one thing I would I would caution people, and I think, Joe, we've talked about this before. Yeah. The NYPD and the Secret Service work very well together, Um, so that part of it will go smoothly. And this, like, half a square mile area of lower Manhattan is exactly where I tried terrorists in the 1990s and where every, you know, high-level security, especially terrorism, national security case that took place in this country between around, you know, 1993 and 9 11 Every one of those cases took place in that area. The NYPD knows how to do this. This is not going to be uh, anything remotely like January sixth. They're never going to allow something like that to happen. These guys know exactly what they're doing. They're yeah. pros. Yeah, uh, and this will go smoothly, I think.
2: Yeah, and and we, if you're listening, please don't. I, no violence on this. You can't. And if a protest is a protest, but no, no, no violence. But what's was curious. Is uh, Andy is the mugshot thing now? Where do they do? How does that unfold? So you go in, and then they take you to into a room, uh, and where there's a the camera set up, and then how does that immediately get out? You know, and or do do well, they it, do they have the ability not to release that mugshot? Just out of curiosity, I ask.
1: Yeah, it's, actually, Joe, the presumption is that it won't be released. It's not supposed to be released. It's not a public document it's not supposed to become public now as we know it's also not supposed to be public at this moment that trump is under indictment that's supposed to be sealed but we're talking about it right so we do know that um you know stuff gets out that's not supposed to get out uh and it wouldn't be shocking to me if uh a photo of uh, a mugshot of trump were to leak but that's not supposed to happen those are supposed to be Uh. You know, pro, uh, uh, law enforcement sensitive police records, not
2: uh, not public records. Yeah, but 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 in the meantime, there's there's a leak uh, on on this whole uh, indictment should not have leaked out. Correct? I mean, isn't that egregious in unto uh, itself?
1: Yeah, but you know, I, I guess Joe, the the problem is that you know we have a certain amount of bandwidth and no more, and uh, on the scale of what's egregious. Yeah, yeah. Like on the scale of one to 10, that doesn't
2: even get to like, you know, 110. Right. So, you know, nobody said they have a leak there. And then, you know, the Supreme Court leak noticed that just went away. That 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 with that Supreme Court leak that really I think turned the tide in many ways in the uh, midterms as we always said with the Sam Alito leak. But how how come we can't find out about these things, uh, Andy McCarthy? is well, isn't there? Someone there's no like uh, guardrails for this. It's like the Democrats, you know, they they own this. You know, leaks when it yeah, benefits well that, them, huh? Yeah, this is this is why people are so
1: upset, Joe. You know, we had a conference at um, National Review last week, and I ended up. Uh, Closing it by having a half hour sit down in front of the audience with uh, former Attorney General Barr, who is just, you know, he's a fabulous guy. Um, But one of the things he laments is like, how do you get out of this cycle of two tiers of justice where, you know, the Justice Department is enmeshed in politics, no matter who is in charge of it. And obviously people on the right look at the way that progressives weaponize the justice system and they say We can't have unilateral disarmament, you know, if uh, when we get in charge, then we have to give these guys a taste of their own medicine. Otherwise, they'll keep doing this. And, you know, there's a lot to that argument in terms of its emotional appeal. But the problem is, if you go down that route, um, then we never have a a fair justice system again. And then we don't have the rule of law anymore and we can't have a flourishing society anymore. So. Yeah. It's very hard to figure out how to get out of this mess of politicizing the justice system, but it is a mess, and we and it is politicized. I'd say the best way to get out of the mess is to kick out of office the people who engage in this kind of abuse. Yeah, but, amen, um, amen. You know, look, Alvin Bragg is an elected
2: prosecutor. Uh, please, I mean, you know, please. he he
1: didn't he didn't like spontaneously materialize in in uh, in Morgenthau's office. You know, people elected him there. Yeah. And we're seeing that across the country, right? A lot of these progressive prosecutors are being elected.
2: It's it, an all-funded, apparently, uh, at least a million dollars' yeah. worth uh, from uh, George Soros himself. And, and Andy, and Don't what, you uh, say that, you anti-Semite. You can't say that. <laughs> I know. I won't be it's, part of this anti-Semitic <laughs> conversation. It's like the guy... That guy that sold out his Jewish brothers and sisters to the Nazis, and they're accusing if you mention Soros, you're an anti-Semite. Oh, uh, you, you can't make this up. And these thirty-four no. counts against President Trump—what could they possibly be? Are we going to be—are we going to be really surprised by some of these? Do you think, Andy McCarthy? I don't think so.
1: You know, look, I, I think this is a, a kind of prosecutorial abuse that the Justice Department actually has guidance about. Uh, I think I I think in my prosecution of, um, you know, basically the terrorist mass murder leader, the black shake. um, I don't mean to laugh back at him, but I think I think I had five counts against him. You know, he got and he got life. Plus, Um, in most serious cases, when you have a serious crime, the Justice Department says don't bring even in multiple defendant indictments, don't bring more than 15 counts and um, not, it's not this, it's not a hard and fast rule, but that's a, it's the guidelines. Interesting. And the reason they have a guideline that, like that, Joe, is yeah, yeah. you worry that prosecutors are going to try to camouflage with quantity what they lack in quality of evidence. Wow. So the idea is you have a very weak case, but you manage to, to slice and dice and cut it and pile it into a bunch of counts to try to signal to the jury that the guy must be a really bad guy. And it's not hard to step counts. Like, let's say you and I are involved in uh, stolen property, and I hand it to you, Joe, and I say, what do you, think? How do you think? How much do you think this is worth? And you hand it back to me, and I hand it to you. And you let's say we exchange it like seven times. Yeah. Every t- we, we're only dealing with one set of stolen property, but technically, every time I hand it to you and you hand it to me, we've transferred stolen property, which is a separate felony. So we can take this one little scheme we have, and already I can make it a conspiracy to transfer stolen property, and then eight actual transfers of stolen. You know, before you know it, you have 120 counts if you want to like be creative enough. but it doesn't mean that you. It's you know the federal government actually uh, put in these sentencing guidelines in the 1980s in order to try to stop prosecutors from being able to run up sentences. By stacking counts this way So that the sentencing guidelines Have something that they call Real offense sentencing Which means that We don't care how If the prosecutor makes it One count or a hundred counts We're going to look at this And say what was the scheme What really happened here Not how many counts A creative yeah. prosecutor Can can carve it into But what Bragg is doing here Is taking something that is The people who actually Have jurisdiction over it The federal government Looked at it And they decided it was worth zero counts. He looks at it and he says, I see 34 felonies. here." (laughs) Um, So it's obviously it's Uh. a flimsy uh, case. But what he's figuring is he gets to trial. I don't think this case is going to get to trial, by the way. I think it'll be thrown out before trial if the the process is fair. But let's say he gets to trial. What happens is you'll have some jurors who will want to follow the law and they'll say there should be an acquittal here. And you might have other jurors who say, I don't like Trump, and I especially don't like hush money paid to porn stars. And this seems lonesome to me, and I want to convict him of something. Yeah. And the judge will tell them if they act like they're hung, you know, look, uh, if you people don't decide this case, then we're just going to have to try it all over again and get 12 more people, and they'll have to decide. So the judge lays it on thick to, to the jury in these situations saying, you know, look, do what you can to resolve this. And what frequently happens is the jury will go back and horse trade. They'll negotiate. And maybe you think, I'm holding out for acquittal because I don't think there's a case here. But how about this? I'll agree to convict on one count so that we can get this stupid thing over with. But I think I will have sent a strong message that this was a terrible case by acquitting on 33 counts. That That... may be a rational thing for a juror to think. But from Bragg's perspective, he only needs one count. That's right. You know, he wants Trump to be a convicted felon. Yeah. Trump needs to win all 34
2: to win. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.